Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today we are joined by Jose Moreno, a senior software architect at Netflix. Yep. Uh, Jose, do you mind sharing for our audience a little bit about what it is that you, you have done in the several years you've been at Netflix as a software engineer? So I've been on two teams at Netflix so far. I joined a, the Globalization Technical Infrastructure Team initially, okay. GTI, not a consulting company. <laughs> and then I recently moved over to the Content Algorithms Team uh, about a year ago. Cool, cool. And... Uh, for our audience that doesn't know Jose, Jose had spent over six years at Microsoft before joining Netflix, uh, and we actually pseudo went to college together, where Jose was a, uh, a computer science major at Harvey Mudd College in Los Angeles. Yep. Um, so going back to how you got into software engineering, uh, a lot of our audience is curious about first jobs that people got out of college or otherwise. Uh, do you mind sharing how you ended up at Microsoft? Yeah, so after my junior year, um, I decided that I wanted to do an internship. And it was actually a rough time because that was 2008, Oof. right? Yeah, so <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty hard to get a job that year, and I got a lot of rejection. So mm -hmm. I um, interviewed with quite a few different places, and nobody was really hiring that much, so it was, it was pretty tough. And uh, Microsoft recruiter just randomly sent out an email to Harvey Mudd. At this point, they weren't actually recruiting at Harvey Mudd very much, mm -hmm. but they were like, hey, if you're interested in the position at Microsoft, send us your resume. So sent my resume, had a phone interview. It was kind of a whirlwind. All of a sudden, I'm like <laughs> flying to Seattle. I was kind of already facing a lot of rejection, so I was like, I'm probably going to get rejected again, but went through the interview and everything went really well. They decided to give me an internship and I took it. Um, internship was over the summer. I think it was 10 weeks. And at the end of the month, uh, at the end of the summer, I guess I impressed them enough for a full-time offer. Oh, for sure. And then you spent the next six plus years there? <laughs> I spent six plus years there, yeah. Uh, so for our audience, a lot of our audience did not get computer science degrees in okay. undergrad. Uh, how did you end up knowing that you wanted to do computer science in undergrad? So growing up, I always thought that I was going to be like doing something with math. Mm. I didn't grow up in a technical technical family, right? Um, my parents immigrated from El Salvador, mm -hmm. so and they didn't they knew nothing about computers. <laughs> um, but so, but I loved math, and yeah. so I thought I was going to be a mathematician. I think when I was really young, I used to call it mathematician. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't there a Harvey Mudd professor? There is, yeah, right. and he's amazing. Like he can <laughs> he can square numbers that are like six digits long in his head. Nice. I, I have no idea how he does it. Um, is he what attracted you to Harvey Mudd? He is not. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was also an interesting story. Um, but so I was focusing on math, and then my junior year of high school, they decided to teach the first computer science course. And the description said, if you love math and if you love computers, then um, come check out this course. And I was like, hmm, I like math. I like computers. I like playing Wheel of Fortune on computers anyways. For sure. Might as well check it out. And like <laughs> after taking that class, the rest was kind of history. I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Started taking some community college courses that summer. And then they offered an AP computer science class my senior year. Mm -hmm. Took that. And from there, I just knew that I wanted to do it. So a lot of the hurdles that I think people early on in software engineering, whether they've even gotten their first job or not yet, is uh, in, an issue encountering a lot of people is 
having the confidence to do software yeah. engineering and do programming. Sounds like early on having a high school course uh, that showed you what it was like was a pretty positive reinforcing experience. Yeah. When you got to Harvey Mudd, I'm not joking about it being the MIT of the West, uh, was it really intimidating to take your first CS class? Oh, it was ago? crazy intimidating. I, mm. I, when I went to Harvey Mudd and I majored in computer science, I just assumed that everybody else has been doing it since they were like five years old. Yeah. That everybody's just been coding their entire lives and I've been doing it for maybe one or two years and like courses that were relatively simple. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely intimidated. So what was those first uh, intro CS classes like? Was did was your were your fears validated? My fears were not validated. I actually realized that everybody was kind of around the same level. There were definitely some people who like had parents who were computer science and they were like way ahead of the curve initially, mm-hmm. but they didn't have like all of the technical background that you learn in college, right? Or your courses. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely leveled out after especially the intro courses. And I actually also learned that although there were other people that were doing computer science majors, they had not taken classes in high school. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to do CS, but they were still new to it. And so I was actually ahead of the curve just with like a couple high school classes. So yeah, it was definitely <laughs> unfounded. So a lot of people never got their computer science undergrad. What curriculum wise do you think or have found the most valuable 10 years out of college yeah. uh, from your undergraduate education? Which class? Which class, which specific subjects, concepts? Yeah data structures and algorithms. Hmm. And so Microsoft actually, they weren't recruiting initially when I got the internship, but then they did start recruiting. I I guess I impressed them a little bit and they started focusing on Harvey Mudd and they would fly me back every single year. And I would talk to a lot of the students who were interested in like their internships or full-time jobs Hmm. and to prepare them for the interviews. I always said, go back and read your data structures and algorithms like book. Mm-hmm. Because that's what interviews are really focused on, right? You start talking about linked lists, you talk about dictionaries, um, and just a whole bunch of algorithms in terms of like how to potentially optimize certain problems, how to think about it different ways. Mm-hmm. So I think that that class is the most important class. The rest <laughs> of them were just kind of like, yep, here's some other kind of um, subjects to learn. What were some of the other subjects that you learned that separate of data structures and algorithms that were the most interesting to you? Uh, so I actually like fell in love with machine learning while I was at um, Harvey Mudd as well. So I took some machine learning classes with uh, Professor Alvarado. And, shout out to yeah, Professor, Professor Alvarado. Alvarado. <laughs> UC San Diego now. Oh, no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, she moved down there. Uh, um, and so machine learning was an awesome course. We had a clinic that was kind of like a senior long project, right? With a actual company who came in and hired a team. Mm-hmm. That was pretty valuable as well. Mm. Although I was a program manager for that team as opposed to a software engineer. That was kind of interesting. So you were not coding? As I was not coding, yeah. For that project? I was not actually. Interesting. And, well, yeah. You, I, that was in contrast to your internship the summer before. Yeah. And, and I was going in as a software engineer for uh, Microsoft that following year. So the second semester, I was like, mm, maybe I should be coding for this. And by the time that like 
I was like, yeah, I, I want to do a little coding for this project. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, well, we're kind of done already. We were actually <laughs> like really well prepared. I guess I did a solid job as a program manager because oh, we were ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> what was it that you guys were tasked with doing for your senior project? So the company was called Genius.com, sure. if I remember correctly. Uh, basically, they send out marketing emails for different companies, mm-hmm. and they had an issue where Basically, if I would send you an email, they didn't really know if you forwarded that email to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And they had metrics around it, right? So if you clicked on the email, they had metrics around that. But if you forwarded it to somebody else and then they clicked on it, they wouldn't know if it was you or a third party that was clicking. So mm-hmm. they wanted us to look into a potential solution for how to figure out if it's a third party clicking the email or if it's you. Got it. We, we actually took like a machine learning kind of route to it and at the end of the day found that the most useful thing was to just kind of put in a good cookie mm-hmm. and to the first time somebody clicks into it right because then we can assume you're the first party yeah and if the second time we see it's that just, it yeah it doesn't exist or it's a different like good yeah. then you all right it's a third party so that, that was we <laughs> okay. we did so much analysis out of this thing and it was basically just kind of like okay we'll just put in a, like a unique identifier in there fair enough yeah. fair enough so you spent six and a half-ish years at Microsoft six after graduating years. Harvey yeah. Mudd. What all teams were you working on there? What all projects were you working on there? Yeah. Was it exclusively I, as a, a software engineer? Software engineer throughout my time there. I was on like four different teams, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think, I, mean, I is, have to count it back. Is that super abnormal at Microsoft? So most of them, no, I think it's mostly pretty normal because they're, you go through like some um, reorgs, right? While you're sure. at a company that big. So I started off on Windows Live Profiles and then was reorged into Social Update Platform, mm-hmm. then reorged into um, Live ID, which is now Microsoft Accounts. Um, so I, a lot of our audience probably doesn't, know the phrase reorg yeah. as a verb oh, so yeah. i'll break it down really quick yeah absolutely going with what exactly teams you're on but a reorg is a reorganization of a company's hierarchy yep. or focus team-wise mm-hmm. uh, and that happens often at large companies when managers get promoted or managers leave is um, teams get reallocated uh, or product priorities or surface prior service priorities change. Yeah, so, that's exactly it. Uh, it's not so shocking that in six plus years at Microsoft, you ended up on four different teams. Yeah. And, and sometimes managers just kind of shift from one team to another, right? Mm-hmm. They're reorg themselves, like maybe a couple skip levels ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And they decide to bring over some team members with them. And that's mm-hmm. kind of part of the reorgs as well. And that's how I ended, how I ended up on, um, Microsoft ID or Microsoft accounts mm-hmm. by the end of it. So which were kind of the more interesting teams to work on, if you don't mind being opinionated? <laughs> I, I love the first two teams uh, for a couple of reasons. I thought the subjects were really interesting, but I think my teammates in those two teams were world class. Like I owe a lot of what I learned my first few years or a lot of the things that I learned to them. Like mm-hmm. they, they built some high scale systems. I say they as I, I help. Maybe. <laughs> what were these teams specifically? Uh, Windows Live Profiles. So the idea for Windows Live Profiles, and you kind of see it now, um, was to centralize your profile information for your Windows Live ID. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? So if you, this wasn't true in 2009, but it is true now. If you log into a Windows 10 machine and move to another Windows 10 machine, all your personal, like all your configurations and your data comes with you, mm-hmm. right? So a, there was a big kind of shift inside of Microsoft to say, okay, we need to centralize this information. So Windows Live Profile was the first team that did that. Mm-hmm. Um, second one was social update platform. This does not exist anymore, unfortunately. Sure. This but, is also not uncommon at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but when Windows Phone first launched, they had an, a very like interesting idea in terms of integrating all your social networks into one location. So you don't have to jump to different apps to see your LinkedIn feed, your Facebook feed, and your Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did on the team was we grabbed, like, grabbed all your different feeds combine it into one location, and then on your phone, you just go to that one spot and you get your feed. You don't have to jump around from app to app. So I found that super interesting. And one of the things that I ended up kind of owning there, um, probably my first time really owning a big feature, was being able to pin, let's say I'm interested in Macs, right? I could pin it on my phone. Sure. And anytime you updated something, I would get a live tile notification on my phone. Macs' status, has updated or, oh, check it out. There's a new podcast uh, podcast video. Sure. So yeah. I would get it right on my home screen and I don't have to like look around or look into seeing that you put, in, put a new video up. So after your time at Microsoft, I know one of the big reasons that you decided to move to Netflix is that Seattle and where Microsoft is headquartered yeah. has a very specific climate yeah (laughs) and so uh, quality of life is a really important thing in life yeah yeah um do you mind speaking to uh how you came to the decision to move on from microsoft and absolutely that netflix was the place to go to so i grew up in la i went to school in la and then moved out to seattle so i actually went um grew up in the valley san fernando valley in los angeles right where the temperatures would get up to 110 in the summer. And I played football in high school, so I would be in, like, full pads. I would be dying in that heat, just dying. So when I first moved out to Seattle, I was like, okay, a super welcoming of the climate. 50s, 60s, this is perfect. Like, it's amazing. Um, But one of the things that you end up learning pretty quickly is that the sun does not come out in Seattle very often. It's not the rain. People mistake it for the rain. Uh, the rain's okay. It's very light, so it's not really that big of a problem. But the sun, like not coming out for weeks at a time, for months at a time, that started kind of getting to me. And so you hear about like seasonal affective disorder. Um, two years before I moved out of Seattle, I legitimately felt depressed for the first time in my life. Mm. And Carol, who's my significant other, right? Um, she's like, oh, why don't you try taking vitamin D pills? And I was like, okay. So I started taking them. A couple weeks later, I'm dancing around. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this thing has legitimately got to me. So I I wanted to get back into a sunny place. Nice. And Los Gatos, California? Yeah, Los Gatos, California. Yeah, it's really nice out here. Yeah. And it's not too hot. So it still kind of works itself out. You mentioned that in undergrad, machine learning was a topic you were interested in. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it was only once you got to Netflix that you professionally uh, got placed onto projects that used machine learning. Yeah. Uh, I know we can't really get too specific about what Netflix is doing with machine learning, but 
our audience, I think, would be really stoked to hear about specific tools that you guys are using. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you are particularly interested in classification or regression problems, what different kinds of data sets are interesting to you personally. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Absolutely. Terms? So in terms of tools, we've used, or I've used personally, um, two big ones. One's TensorFlow, which seems to be pretty standard across the industry these days. Mm-hmm. And actually one that's not heard of as much is Deep Learning 4J. So most of the code that's written at Netflix is in Java. I found Deep Learning 4J, which allows me to do machine learning models in Java. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about integration, integrating like models that were created in Python into our Java-based applications, right? I was mm-hmm. able to create them in Java and just kind of easily adopt it. So, so I decided to use Deep Learning 4J so far. And so far, it's been pretty nice in terms of allowing me to do the same things or a lot of what TensorFlow allows me to do and build models and use them in our Java services. Got it. Is it is much of the work that you do uh, exploratory or is it more building up services that are high reliability type of stuff? So I have a unique kind of position in that I do both. Mm. I And I think it works out really well for me because Machine learning is definitely, or when you're creating machine learning models, it's very exploratory, right? Like it may or may not work. And there have been times where it's like a month of me looking into something, trying to create a model and like, it's just not working. So you analyze the data and then you look at the data and it could be like very dirty. So after like a month, maybe six weeks, you have nothing to show for what you've done. <laughs> so Dude, that's uh, brutal. For, it, for, yeah, for people it, whose, <laughs> whose careers are yeah, online, exactly. I understand it, completely. It happened uh, earlier this year for me. So after those like six weeks of that, of nothingness, I talked to my manager and I was like, maybe I should work on one of our services right now and actually like code up something that I have, like I have something to show for. And so I'm able to switch between creating services and like some of the infrastructure infrastructure that we use and then going back into the exploratory like data things to see if we can take advantage of some of the things that we have. One of the guests we've had on previously, who's a professional principal consultant, Charles Martin, uh, data science consultant, uh, swears by Jupyter or IPython notebooks. Oh my God. I want to start using Jupyter. I haven't. I, I've seen it. Yeah. I I haven't gotten the chance to do it yet, but I'm super excited to use those notebooks. They're they're amazing. Yeah, they make disco- exploratory type analysis yeah. really easy and obviously yeah. reproducible is yeah. one of their big billable. And items. you're able to keep notes as you're working through and mm-hmm. just kind of have the history of like how you're progressing toward the end result. Mm-hmm. I I honestly think I had so I've seen them. I've used them a little bit, but not really in my job that's definitely something that i'm going to be using moving forward sweet yeah one of the one of the this obviously isn't a sales video for yeah Jupiter. no it's not it's an open source software and i wasn't planning on talking about <laughs> Jupyter notebooks but yeah no they're well the reason i i guess the reason they rebranded from being called ipython notebooks to being called Jupyter notebooks yeah. is because the the concept of a web ui where you uh edit and run uh, snippets of code yeah. and interspersed with documentation uh, was originally done in communication with a Python backend. Yeah. And Jupyter was a generalization of uh, sending message passing to a backend yeah. that wasn't necessarily Python. So there are hypothetically 
Java backends now, yeah. where you can make a Jupyter notebook and write your Java code that invokes Java functions. And instead of oh. your web UI communicating with a Python kernel, they communicate with a JVM kernel of some kind. So this may be sooner down the pike for you. Yeah, than yeah. You I've only imagine. seen it in Python, but um, yeah. yeah, I'll definitely try that next oh, time yeah. I'm like creating TensorFlow models. Oh, I haven't heard sure. of the, the JVM integration part of it. That's something I look into. Yeah, they, there's different kernels. There's Julia language. There's uh, Ruby. Okay. There's Haskell. Yeah. Up the wazoo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the other guests we've had on also has a very similar background to you. I think he spent five years at Microsoft okay. before moving to San Francisco to join a smaller company than Netflix called okay. TuneIn. Uh, Alex Andreessen made a similar job switch from Seattle to the Bay Area and when we chatted, we talked a little bit about the crossover from C Sharp to a Java shop, yeah. uh, or how translatable uh, a career at Microsoft is to a career in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, can you speak a little to how uh, the learning curve was for you coming from six plus years at Microsoft yeah. to Netflix? So I did a little bit of Java my senior year of high school, and then maybe one other class in college, but definitely spent like six and a half, seven years without doing Java. Mm -hmm. I found the jump from C-sharp to Java to be relatively simple. Like mm -hmm. it's not, they're very similar languages, especially around syntax. Um, there are some things that are pretty different in terms of like using Spring or Juice for dependency ejection, which is what we do at Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, but aside from that, it was a pretty easy switch. I think... The biggest difference is that a lot of the tools that you use in C-sharp are basically .NET created, right? So created by Microsoft specifically, where in Java, you just have so many more like open source libraries available to you. Um, sometimes a little confusing when there's like, like 50 string util classes, right? Like, okay, <laughs> which one do I use for this? But, um, but aside from that, I thought it would, the jump was relatively simple. What were some of the onboarding, uh, processes that Netflix had in place for people like yourself who were not coming from a JVM Java background? There generally isn't one. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. Um, looking at somebody's Java kind of background and figuring out how well they'll do in Java is part of the interviewing process at Netflix. So, ah. so they want Java skills. And when we're hiring somebody, or at least the teams that I've worked on, when we're looking at somebody that doesn't have a Java background, then we try to figure out how easily it will be for them to jump over to Java. And if it's not an easy transition, then that's enough for them to not get the job at Netflix. So, Is this pretty uh, generally applicable to machine learning roles at Netflix, that Java is an important prerequisite? No, for machine learning, it, it really depends on the job that you're working on, right? So okay. for machine learning, I don't think Java is necessarily a requirement for... If that's your position that you're um, interviewing for at Netflix, I don't think it's a requirement. So, But it, for many software engineering roles? Yeah, for software engineering, generally Netflix uses Java, so we look for Java skills Got um, it. before you're hired. Yeah. I mean, on that topic, I think we should take a moment to plug uh, jobs at Netflix. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Jose told me to make the audience aware of is that Netflix primarily hires... Uh, experienced hires as yeah. opposed to recent grads. Uh, zero recent grads, <laughs> zero or uh, no interns. So yeah. yeah, it's not a place to to uh, apply to coming out of college. 
However, uh, for those who are interested and qualified uh, or are curious if you're qualified, you guys can check out software engineering roles, machine learning roles at jobs.netflix.com. Yep. And read the culture manifesto that we have on the site. It really talks about like the culture at Netflix and gives you a good understanding of what you would expect there. Mm-hmm. Also, very important for Netflix employees. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. Glad you mentioned it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, Jose, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you.